Welcome to the midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary. I'm Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. This is a busy one. We have uh, a lot going on in the world of sports. We have eras ending in Boston and in Duke. We have potential playoff hopes ending with the Philadelphia 76ers and the LA Lakers and the tough times continuing for Toronto Maple Leaf fans. A lot to cover on the show today. We are going to get right to it. Also, with so much going on, a lot of this is going to bleed into the content in the next weeks, uh, week or so. So uh, stay tuned to Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Primetime Klein. YouTube, you're going to want to check out there. We are there at uh, Primetime Klein 1, the number one. You can follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash primetime. PK. If you want to email the show, you can do so. Couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music you were listening to there, Wasted Talent. Uh, find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent. There are X's where the A's would be if you were to spell those normally. Uh, and then Wasted Talent, all one word. Their producer is Tommy Fresh Music on Instagram. So let's start with the big news out of the NBA today. Leaf fans, I, I understand. Uh, rather upset about what happened in their playoff game against the Montreal Canadiens. That's been covered to high holy hell, and we will cover that later this week. Uh, we have some guests coming on to talk about that, so I'll touch on it later, but the big news, I think, of the day coming in Boston as Danny Ainge has stepped down, Brad Stevens has stepped up, and this really is the end of an era with the Boston Celtics. There are a lot of different ways to go with this one, but I do think that it is just, I don't want to say fitting or poetic, but it's certainly noteworthy that this whole thing ends at the hands of the Brooklyn Nets, because in recent years, one of Danny Ainge's biggest achievements, I suppose, was the trade with the Brooklyn Nets. And so I went through... And did kind of a, a trade tree on that. And I, I will admit, uh, there was some bias going into this. I My expectation, because the Celtics haven't been to a championship game since that happened, was I'm going to go through this trade tree and it's going to seem like, at the time, it was this gigantic win for the Boston Celtics. And it's going to look like it's actually not that big of a win and Brooklyn's going to actually turn out okay in this. And by the end of this... Both teams actually come out okay, and I, I think that's something to, to note from this, is that the, the perception of this in my mind was that, oh, well, Boston didn't really do all that well in this trade, that was a, a gigantic one, and and look at Brooklyn, they're now ahead of the, the Boston Celtics, and that's going to get into a number of different things in both how you judge Danny Ainge and how you judge success in the NBA. So, because I've spent all morning going through this, you're now going to spend all morning listening to it. I do just want to do a quick aside. It is so much fun to go back and do all of these. So I just said I, I spent a bunch of time. I would, I would do this all day. But there are some dudes who are just involved in trades that are just absolutely amazing to me. Like I, I just, to, to read the official trade, I just pulled up Gerald Wallace's basketball reference page. Gerald Wallace was involved in trades that included the future picks of both Tobias Harris and Damian Lillard. And then he's involved in this gigantic brouhaha with Boston and the Brooklyn Nets. So the there's a few of those that it's just like, man, this is fun. And I'm probably going to go back and do a few more of these because I had a blast doing this. The official trade, the Brooklyn Nets trade Gerald Wallace, Keith Bogans, Marshawn Brooks, Chris Humphreys, Chris 
Joseph, a 2014 first-round pick, a 2016 first-round pick, a 2017 first-round pick swap, a 2018 first-round pick to the Boston Celtics for Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Jason Terry, TJ, uh, DJ White, sorry, a 2017, again, pick swap, and a 2017 second-round pick. Yeah, there's a lot, just in that, a lot to take in with this. So to do kind of the trade tree part, we'll start with the easy one, and that is the Brooklyn Nets. So acquired in this deal is Kevin Garnett, who eventually gets traded for Thad Young. This is the part that I found rather interesting. And again, I understand you can't just draw one to one. Oh, well, they traded Kevin Garnett for James Harden, but they trade Kevin Garnett for Thad Young, who gets shipped to Indiana for Karis Levert, who is a part of the James Harden trade. And that right there, that was the very first thing I looked up in this trade. And that right there was kind of my, oh shit, this is going to be different than I thought it was going to be. Because I was not expecting that even a little bit. And again, it is tough to draw those straight lines. But when you see, I think one of the keys when you're making a trade is that if you make a bad one, try to turn it into a good one. And throughout this entire thing, it very much looks like an NBA 2K transaction thing where you make a trade. Okay, well, I don't like that guy. I'm going to try to trade him for a couple other things. Like it's just, you put him on the, the trade finder and just, yeah, that one. And you just kind of kept it rolling to the point where this trade, which by the way, I, I do want to be very clear on this. This trade happened July 12th, 2013. This trade is not done today. The, the tree continues until at least 2025. It is mind-boggling the lengths that we go through and the the journey that some of these picks and some of these players go on from this trade. And again, very first thing we cover is Kevin Garnett leads to a part of the James Harden trade. Uh, Paul Pierce leaves through three uh, free agency. Jason Terry gets traded for Marcus Thornton, who gets traded for Jarrett Jack and Sergey Karasov. Uh, Karasov is no longer in the lead. Jarrett Jack gets waived, and DJ White ends up getting nothing. The second round pick is Sasha Vezenkov, also known as Alexander Vezenkov. Um, he was the second round pick in 2017, 57th overall. He does not have anything on his basketball reference page. The last thing on his basketball reference page is that he was drafted by the Brooklyn Nets in 2017. So the Brooklyn part of this, uh, it is still in a sense ongoing because you still have James Harden. I would consider that like you, you make this trade and you end up getting James Harden. The Boston side of it, it gets a little bit more complicated. I have a page and a half on this. And by the way, I made the mistake of writing all this out by hand, and I have the worst handwriting ever. So if I mess up on a couple of these, that is my apologies. Gerald Wallace involved in this trade. He gets sent away for David Lee, who eventually gets waived. Chris Humphreys is traded for a second round pick in a side and trade, and you get a trade exemption out of that. He ends up going for a second round pick that is protected and that pick is never actually executed. Keith Bogans also involved in this trade, and this is where shit got weird. Keith Bogans gets traded for John Lucas III, Eric Murphy, Malcolm Thomas, and Dwight Powell. John Lucas III gets waived, Eric Murphy gets waived, 
Malcolm Thomas gets waived. There are also two draft picks involved in this, 2016 and 2017 second round picks from Cleveland. The last player involved in the Keith Bogans trade is Dwight Powell, and that is where this thing spiders very much on me. Dwight Powell is part of the Rajon Rondo trade. So not exactly just a straight line again, one for one, but Dwight Powell has turned into a very productive member of the Dallas Mavericks. And thus you can say he was an important part of that trade, I would say. But part of the Rondo trade that sees Jay Crowder, Jameer Nelson, Brandon Wright, uh, 2016 uh, 2016 first, 2016 second, and a $13 million trade exception. I went back and looked for the two trade exceptions. If they used them, I couldn't find them. So I apologize if there is this missing rung on the ladder, but yes, that was the that was the Dallas trade. We'll we'll continue on with the Dwight Powell stuff a little bit later on, but you can see kind of where the, the Keith Bogans part of this really starts to 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 spider uh, to sorry to spider on you a little bit. Jay Crowder is part of the Kyrie trade, so again, you can see where things are starting to be put into place as a couple of pieces of this deal are involved in getting Kyrie. Same thing with the 2018 first round pick that is used in this. So you're already seeing where the, the future is brought in. Also, the second rung of the, the this trade, Powell is traded for Jameer Nelson, who's traded for Nate Robinson, who is waived. Brandon Wright decided to make my life nice and interesting in this trade as he gets dealt for a 2016 second from Phoenix and a 2017 second from Phoenix. We'll get into some of those picks a little bit later on because it starts to get confusing and I'm sure it's already getting a little bit confusing. Marshawn Brooks, also part of this trade, he goes for three second round picks and Joel Anthony. Joel Anthony is traded for Will Bynum and Will Bynum is eventually waived. So I do believe now that covers the players who were involved in this. Chris Joseph ends up just getting waived as part of this trade. Now, the draft picks. In 2014, you have a first-round pick from Brooklyn. That pick is used on James Young, 17th overall. He leaves by way of free agency. 2016, first-round pick, you get Jalen Brown, still a very big part of the Boston Celtics today. As mentioned before, 2018, that draft pick is part of the Kyrie trade. So already two aspects of this trade used to get Kyrie Irving, which in turn helps out the Brooklyn Nets because Kyrie leaves Boston and goes to Brooklyn. So that is the kind of hilarious part of this. 2017 is where this thing gets a little bit weird and became a little bit tough to track. Jason Tatum was the best player in, probably in that draft, at least is turning into one of the best players in that draft so far, and the Boston Celtics get him and they had the first overall pick. But Boston didn't use that first overall pick on Jason Tatum. They end up flipping it with the Philadelphia 76ers who get Markel Fultz and that it just didn't work. But for Boston, it got a little bit complicated. The Celtics traded it for the third overall pick and then best I could tell, the wording on it was weird, but best I could tell it was going to be the Lakers pick in 2018 if that pick fell between two and five or the better of Philadelphia and Sacramento's pick in 2019, unless that pick was number one. The Lakers pick in 2018 does not fall between two and five, so the Lakers, uh, so the, the Lakers don't have to give up a pick in that draft, which I, I suppose ends up working out for the LA Lakers. I didn't even look. Who did they pick in that? They probably didn't get anyone. Um, 
the Lakers pick, actually, interestingly enough, uh, the, the Lakers pick ends up going to Philadelphia for Mikel Bridges, who gets traded to Phoenix, who is now causing some problems for the LA Lakers. So that was a fun little tie-in with everything. But because the, the Laker pick didn't fall between two and five, Jason Tatum is traded to Boston along with a 2019 pick that is either the best of the Sacramento or Philadelphia picks of that year. And when you see that, it's okay. This is probably going to be a good pick. Uh, not from the, the Philadelphia 76er standpoint, they are a, a quality basketball team, but the Sacramento Kings, I mean, that's a pretty bad team. Maybe you like the, the, you, you have to look at that going into the season thinking there is at least a small chance you're getting R.J. Barrett, John Moran, or Zion Williamson. Instead, that pick ends up at 14. Um, there was a coin flip situation with the Miami Heat. Uh, if you listen to Bill Simmons' podcast at all, you understand that. Uh, the Miami Heat end up getting Tyler Hero, and the Boston Celtics get Romeo Langford. So that part of the trade is just closed off. Now we get into the other draft picks that were involved in this one. The first one that pops up is a 2015 second. Jordan McKee ends up getting waived. 2016, the Boston Celtics were very, very busy as they had the Jalen Brown pick. That one ends up working out for them. They also have a first round pick from the, the, the White Powell, Rajon Rondo draft. They end up getting Gershon Yagulay. I don't know. Doesn't matter. He was waived. Also picked three picks ahead of Karis LeVert, which would have been just a, a wonderful what if in this whole thing, because so many different aspects of this trade end up a little bit differently if Karis LeVert is the one who was picked by the Boston Celtics. But the second round of 2016, the Celtics draft Abdel Nadev. They trade him for Rodney Purvis, who is waived. The, the 2016 second from Miami and a 2016 second from Phoenix that they got in a Brandon Wright trade are used to swap with the Memphis Grizzlies for a 2019 first round pick. That pick gets traded to Philadelphia. The 76ers take Thibel, which I think would be a great fit on the Boston Celtics right now. Instead, Boston gets Ty Jerome, Carson Edwards. Ty Jerome is flipped for a second round pick of the Phoenix Suns in, or of a, Ty Jerome is flipped for a pick that is eventually used for Desmond Bain, who is traded as part of the Ennis Cantor trade, a three-team deal that sees Boston with a 2023 second and a 2025 second. So again, you see all the different ways that this leads us. Another Miami 2016 pick ends up going to Ben Batil. He is waived. And I believe that covers 2016. 2017, the Celtics get Caden Allen from a uh, Cleveland Cavaliers pick. That ends up going nowhere. A second round pick from the Phoenix Suns gets them semi Ojale, still a part of the team. So there is that, I suppose. I missed a pick from 2016. It was Demetrius Jackson from Dallas. He ends up getting waived. And that, I do believe, closes this trading wheel, this trading ladder for the Boston Celtics. So you can see all the different ways that this trade went. And there are a couple of different ways you can come out of this for both teams, really. When you look at how these teams did following this trade, let's look at Brooklyn first. They go to the conference semifinal in 2013-14, lose in the first round after that, then finish 14th, 15th, 12th in the Eastern Conference 
First round losses in 1819 and 1920, and now this season they're still going. For the Boston Celtics, they finished 12th in 2013-14, then back-to-back first round losses, back-to-back conference final losses, a conference final semi, a uh, conference semifinal loss, excuse me, and a conference final loss in 1920 before losing in the first round. It is tough to say that a trade is an L for a team when you end up getting two cornerstone pieces like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and you end up going to the conference finals three times. We'll get to the conference final bit in, in a second. Also, this trade helps get you Kyrie, which at the time they thought was going to help them get Anthony Davis as well. And you can see Kyrie had an influence in bringing a star player to his team. It was just with Brooklyn and it was KD. I don't think you can look at it as a negative, even with all of that. And I was going to say, it, it doesn't even look like the home run that it was. But again, you have two pieces, like two, your two main pieces come from this trade. So at the end of the day, this is still a win for the Boston Celtics. And you got to the conference final three, three times in four years. And I get you were going up against LeBron, probably in all of those. And, well, not, uh, sorry, in 1920, uh, you just went up against a Miami Heat team. That was your best chance. Like, that, that was, that was a rough one. But, like, that, that's, that, that's still very good. And I understand we are in a championship or bust mentality as a, a sports culture right now. But you get to the conference finals three times in four years, you are building something correctly. And they, as we went through there, they spun so many different things out of this trade that it is still getting them assets to this day. And there's a couple of times, if they don't screw things up, then you're ending up with a Karis Levert. They made one pick that was just a couple picks ahead of Pascal Siakam. Siakam, the first couple of years, that looks like a win, and now it doesn't. But you can see where the Celtics were going, and you can see some of the, the big moves that this team was able to make to set them up for today. On the Brooklyn side, it looked like a disaster at the time. And when you go through the records, when you make a, a giant trade like that and you get out of the first round once, and that was a seven game series against the Toronto Raptors, which, hey, thanks for that. But I mean, it, it looks like an L at the time, but you are able to kind of weather the storm. You have some very bad years in there and you're able to turn one piece of that trade into something that gets you James Harden. So this does not turn out to be as big of an L for the Brooklyn Nets as uh, I think it looked like it was going to be at the time. It still wasn't great, and there, there is no sugarcoating it. It was a wild overpay for the Brooklyn Nets, and we, we thought it would set up the Boston Celtics forever, and it did a pretty good job of it. But this is where I, I caution sports fans. When you look at, okay, well, we need to do a rebuild. This was the perfect way to do it. This should, in the rebuild the Sports Rebuild Hall of Fame, this trade, maybe not exactly how I wrote it down because it's tough to read, but this trade tree should go up there because when you are looking at rebuilding and you are trading your veteran players to bring in young pieces and draft picks, this is exactly what it is supposed to look like. You end up getting two kind of stars out of it, one star, one pretty good player, and then you end up getting assets out of it that turns into a super duper star, and now look at that, you've gone to the conference final. The problem is getting over that hump and even doing everything right still doesn't get you a championship sometimes. It requires, I mean, A, it requires not being in the same division as LeBron James, that certainly, or same conference, sorry, as LeBron James, that, that, certainly helps things out a little bit, but there's always going to be someone, right? Like there were teams who lost to the Celtics along the way. It's like, well, 
ran into a pretty good Celtics team. Like that, that just, there's always going to be someone. There is some luck involved, and quite frankly, it's just it's really hard to win championships. So if the goal is to blow things up and win a championship, this just proves you can do everything right and still come just a little bit short. And on the Brooklyn side, this shows when you make a bad move, how do you try to get out of it? And we saw with the New York Knicks for years and years and years how they tried to get out of it. For Brooklyn, you look at just just those first-round picks that end up going to the Boston Celtics. In 14, it's James Young. That doesn't really work out all that well. 16, Jalen Brown. 18, the pick was Colin Sexton. 17, the pick ends up being Markel Fultz. It should have been Jason Tatum. If... If we swap Fultz for Tatum in that one, and they end up, we will give them the benefit of the doubt, then this franchise is set up very, very well for a very long time. But there, there is some impatience there, and you can see the kind of the cons of making this all-in type of a move as well. So this, once again, is proof that you can do things extremely well, and it's still not going to guarantee you a championship. And so I, I say this to Raptor fans who wanted to the, the team to be blown up. And I say it to Calgary Flames fans in, in hockey who want the, their team to be blown up. This was exactly how it is supposed to look when you make that type of a trade. Like this is absolute, and it, hockey, it's a little bit different. But from a basketball standpoint, this is best case scenario for a trade. And it still didn't work out. And it, it still, in the end, kind of cost Danny Ainge his job. And this is kind of the, the second part of it. Danny Ainge is very busy, as as we discuss in this trade. And uh, I think from a franchise standpoint, you want someone who is constantly looking at, at ways to improve your team. And he did that. You can see, like, all of these different things, very few of them end on just one rung, right? There, there's generally a couple where, okay, well, this guy turned into this, turned into this, turned into this. He is constantly looking at ways to improve your team. And I understand that this year is a bit of a disaster and Kyrie leaving and then flipping that. Kyrie leaving, Al Horford leaving, and Gordon Hayward leaving. Like, that's that, that's just a lot of very talented people leaving your building with not a whole lot coming back. So you had to understand that there was going to be uh, a step back this year. And that step back ends with, I get Danny Ainge retired. I do believe that he was told he was retiring. It's not just, ah, you know what? This seems like a good time to just head out. I think it was a, uh, we're going to tell you that you are retiring and you're going to retire. That's how this thing is going to work here. But now the cautionary tale, uh, I guess, potential for Boston is be careful what you wish for, because this is a guy who, like I said, constantly looking at, at improving your team. And for the most part, did a very good job of it. A couple things end up not working out. The draft history is definitely something we could go into at a different time, but I I think change for change's sake is a little bit dangerous cuz I don't know. Well, I mean, hey, we've never seen Brad Stevens do this before as far as a GM is concerned, and maybe he'll be better at drafting cuz he's a bit more familiar with the college game and how that translates to a pro level now, but it's just going to be tough to find someone to replace Danny Ainge. Like, you can get a, a literal human being to do it, but someone who is as good as him, I don't think so. If Danny Ainge wants to keep doing this, I, I think one team is going to be very lucky. If nothing else, a fan base is really going to enjoy having him. On the Brad Stevens side of things, this is one of the best coaches in the league. And now he's being put on a job he's never done before to hire a replacement who's not going to be as good as him. This seems like a very strange move 
for the Boston Celtics today. This whole situation feels like a be careful what you wish for type of a situation. Like I said, it it just drives home how difficult it is to win in the NBA. And this kind of spawns out to our, our different conversations that we can have today when you look at the Philadelphia 76ers and you look at the LA Lakers. The 76ers are another team who did things the exact way that teams or that fan bases sometimes want rebuilds to go, where it's trade fucking everyone for as many first-round picks as you can possibly find, have as many bad seasons as it takes to get top draft picks, and eventually the process ends up working out. And people forget, initially the process was Nerlens Noel and Jaleel Okafor, and they just kick those guys to the curb, and then it works out with Ben Simmons and with Joel Embiid. But again, you can do things perfectly, and then fate comes in, and fucks you up. Because you look at the, the the Philadelphia 76ers a couple of years ago, Game 7, Toronto Raptors, that shot bounces four times and goes in. I'm of the belief I could just be a, a, a hurt ra- uh, Raptor fan, but I believe Philadelphia wins that series if that game goes to overtime. But that shot takes a funny bounce, the Raptors end up winning a championship, Joel Embiid ends up crying. This year, the Philadelphia 76ers have everything set up perfectly for them. They're taking on a Washington Wizards team that can't do a fucking thing to stop them. That They, they have one star player, one guy who thinks he's a star player, and they're getting shit kicked by Philadelphia. And then Joel Embiid gets hurt and he misses part of game four they end up losing game four now he's out for game five to or he's i believe he is out for game five tonight and philadelphia still might win game five tonight they still have ben simmons and a whole lot of shooting but this just shows and then you you look at other situations you look at denver they have a very good team one of their best chances of winning a championship ever that the the denver nuggets have ever had and Jamal Murray goes down with an injury, and now you have the MVP, and you have a kid who has emerged as a star scorer. That team's not winning a championship, though. They need double overtime to to beat Portland in a, a wild game last night, but like that absolutely kills their championship hopes, and it just shows how quickly these things can change. And another example of you can follow everything by the book, And it still doesn't guarantee you shit when it comes to sports. And you look at the Lakers now. The Lakers, the way everyone says you win in the NBA is basically get as many star players as possible and try to to figure it out. And so the Lakers, they have the good fortune of being in Los Angeles and LeBron James wanted to play for them. And then when they were shit for a few years, they got a few assets that they could flip into AD. And again, they had the good benefit of being the Lakers and AD just wanted to go there. So there, you have now done what you were supposed to do in acquiring two top five players in the NBA and it gets you a championship. But now this year, one of those guys goes down, you get curb stomped by the Phoenix Suns, and now you got to win back-to-back games to keep your season alive, and who knows what your team is going to look like in any kind of second round. The point I am making, this whole championship or bust thing, it is fine, and it, it everyone's goal should be a championship. If you happen to just make the conference finals a few times, I don't think you need to blow everything up. And it does kind of feel like, oh, well, didn't win a title. Gotta, gotta completely blow things up. It works for the Raptors. They make a DeMar DeRozan trade, get Kawhi Leonard, and everything is fine. The Brooklyn Nets go all in and eventually get James Harden, but it took a long time for them to get to that step. 
we have to realize how very, very hard winning a championship is in the world of sports. And I think be okay if your team comes up just a little bit short a time or two. The Laker part of this conversation spins into another aspect of this that I want to talk about. If you listen to both, you can probably tell I do listen to the, the Bill Simmons podcast. Before you shut this off, I don't agree with everything those guys say, because holy shit. But I mean, there's some stuff I agree with, there's some stuff I don't, but I, I think that we should all listen to things we don't agree with and then help strengthen our opinions around those things after. Sorry, you can probably hear in the background there is uh, work going on in the area that I live in today. So that's just super duper fantastic. Bang on job, bang up job. But anyway, they were talking and, and Bill Simmons, who just loves to shit on everything LA Lakers, he said, I, I think that what's happening this year shows that the bubble should be an asterisk. And I, uh, maybe, potentially, it could be an asterisk. I think that this shows how much of a fucking grind that bubble was. When you look at, A, the injuries we are seeing this season coming out of it, and players were not ready for the season to start as quickly as it did, and yada, 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 yada. But you see, the Denver Nuggets go on a long run. In that bubble, Jamal Murray goes down with an injury. The Philadelphia 76ers, let's not call it a long run, but the Philadelphia 76ers go to the, at least, go into that bubble, play some intense games, and now Joel Embiid is hurt. Joel Embiid would have got hurt anyway, that's kind of his thing. But still, you, you can see where I am coming from on that. The Lakers go on a grind of a championship run just a few months ago and now have to come back and play championship level basketball again. LeBron gets banged up. AD is hurt now. And you can see where like that there is extra wear and tear on these guys where there wasn't before. And the, the same thing with Miami. I, I think it, it no team played harder for a longer stretch, maybe ever, than the Miami Heat played in that bubble. And it gets them to within a couple of games of a championship, but I just don't think they had anything left in the tank. And I think Crowder had a bit more of an impact on that team than people like to admit. But also, I mean, there are a number of different reasons why Miami got shit-kicked by the Milwaukee Bucks in this last series. But I, I do think you have to give a bit more, instead of looking at the bubble as, oh, well... Who knows how this all would have played out. The Lakers probably were going to win a championship that year. Like, that, there is... You can say one thing, you can say the other. I, the Lakers were still the best team, and they ended up winning the championship. But I, I do think we have to recognize how much that bubble experience took out of teams going into it, the, going into this season just a couple of months after going through that grind. And I think we are now seeing very much what, what going through that whole grind really meant to some of these teams. Because you, you look at it now, like the Knicks have a great regular season, comes out of nowhere. Part of that is definitely good coaching from Tibbs. You have Derrick Rose resurgence and you have RJ Barrett and you have Julius Randle kind of taking some steps. I will not discount the fact that they didn't have to deal with a whole lot of this injury stuff because they were a little bit fresher. Same thing goes for the Atlanta Hawks. Did not make it into the bubble. Now they are went away from the second round. I think you could go through and see, look, some teams are still going to be shitty, like, right? Like there's just, Sacramento is going to be bad regardless. But I do think you can see a number of examples of how the bubble really affected things for this season. And it's another example, going back to the Boston thing, maybe don't read too much 
into this weird last 18 months of basketball. And I get you can't just, ah, well, we'll see what happens in a couple of years when all these guys are getting older, contracts change all the time. But I, I don't think we should read too much into this last stretch of basketball. Music for Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be and check out their new song, Drowning, out now. Went long on the basketball stuff today. Uh, we're going to go more into the hockey tomorrow, potentially on YouTube, maybe just on podcast stuff. Follow me on Twitter at PrimetimeKline for more of that. But I, I would be remiss to not talk about the Toronto Maple Leaf situation as they fall to the Montreal Canadiens. A result that until there was about 10 minutes left in the third period of that game, I did not truly believe was going to be a factor. And credit the Montreal Canadiens for winning this one. But now people in Toronto want answers because this is another playoff failure and this was their best chance. And that is absolutely 100% accurate. I, that, that part I, I believe is true. This up until this point was their best chance. I do still think the Boston Bruins eventually are going to age out and you got some star players locked up for a while. But Toronto has tried a number of different things to get this group over the hump. You have three extremely talented individuals and you sign a fourth and that doesn't work. So then you go out and you acquire a young defenseman to play with Morgan Riley. And initially that doesn't work. Tyson Berry, it does work then with TJ Brody. And then you get a goalie, but then he's starting to get shaky. So you get a different goalie and you're tough. You're not tough enough to play against. So you get Wayne Simmons. You need veteran leadership. So you get Joe Thornton and you get Jason Spezza. All this shit that's supposed to work and it didn't work. So, where do you go from here if you are the Toronto Maple Leafs? I think going into that series, it would be, okay, well, if this doesn't work, you trade Nylander, try to get a couple of pieces and help the depth out. The problem is, Nylander was by far and away the best member of the Toronto Maple Leafs in that series. Like, I, I, I don't know if it was particularly close. He was excellent, especially in that Game 7. Um, so, I don't know if that's the move that you're making. Are you trading Marner? Probably not. You're trading Matthews? Definitely not. And you're certainly not trading away Pajama Boy and John Tavares. So I, I, I would suggest then the big trade thing is out. How do you mess around with the depth pieces around that? It, it becomes a little bit more difficult to do that because you are tied up cap space wise. And as has been discussed to death around NHL circles, the cap ain't going anywhere. You need some of your depth guys to be able to step up. And as cool of a story as it would be, if Joe Thornton were to win a championship with the Toronto Maple Leafs, he didn't necessarily provide a whole lot in that series. And again, it's a tricky conversation because the real thing is some of the star players just weren't star players in that series. And then Carey Price was really, really good and you lost. Like you, you substantially lost the goaltending battle and that cost you. That doesn't really make for a great radio segment, though. I do think you could have got more from some of your depth guys. Like, you you did not see Joe Thornton very much in that. And Wayne Simmons stepped up a couple of times, but you didn't really see him a whole lot. And those are two players that I like a lot and would take on my team any day, except when I'm relying on them. And that becomes a bit of an issue. So I, I think that the depth around those, because those, those star players just aren't going anywhere. You can say, oh, trade Matthews. They're not going to trade Matthews. That's just not going to happen. So you have to find a way to maximize the depth pieces around them. And some of the young picks have hit, some of the young picks haven't, but 
you you need to find a way to improve the depth of that roster while understanding you are in a cap crunch. You can say, oh, how are you going to change? Uh, how are you going to fix the depth? They don't have any cap saves. Well, they have to, or else this is going to to keep happening. Or one year, one year, Marner and Matthews are going to click at the same time in the playoffs, and just no one's going to be able to stop them. Right? Like the the Washington Capitals tried everything to get out of their slump, and eventually they just fucking did it. Like, there there wasn't a big trade. Oh, well, this was the piece that fixed them. It was Sergei Fedorov. It, it was Kevin Shattenkirk. It was da, 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 da. Every time they thought there was a magical solution, this was the thing that worked. It wasn't. It was just, they eventually just won. Like, there wasn't a magic formula that worked. It just, well, this was their year. Um, that is a tough thing to sell in Toronto, where you're just gonna say, ah, oh, let's just wait it out, because it's been bad there for a long time, and they haven't even won a series yet. But, I, I don't think there is a magic wand that fixes things unless there's a magic wand that gets their star players to be star players in the playoffs. I know we did a lot on basketball today, but Coach K is announcing at the end of the season he will retire. And when you talk about legends and you talk about sports, Coach K absolutely has to be in that realm. And college basketball is so weird because for most people, they pay attention to it for a month. And if you pay attention to it for longer than that, odds are you're probably watching it for draft stuff uh, or you just have a lot of spare time on your hands. But Coach K turned Duke into a must-watch school. And he didn't do it. Like, you, you get Zion Williamson there at the end, but no one's going, oh my God, Shane Battier, have to tune in. He turned that place into a brand without having brand name players. And that is just a, a remarkable accomplishment. And I'm sure that if we were to dig into the closets of Coach K, you're probably finding some skeletons in there because that's how college sports works. But that is how college sports works. And he is going up against everyone who's trying to do the same thing. And he just did it better than everyone or almost everyone every year for a very long time. There is no replacing a Coach K. Um, Duke is going to try, but this is, it, it's already been an interesting stretch for Duke who look average for the first time in 30 years. Now you're going to have to figure out how to replace the guy who has set the bar in your sport. That is going to be interesting to see how Duke is able to to maneuver their way through that. And good luck to whoever is taking the job in replacing Coach K, because holy cow. Um, the Women's World Hockey Championship is going to be coming to Calgary. That is fantastic news. And hopefully, with the news in our city this week and in our province this week, that we have uh, accelerated the pace with which vaccines are going to be rolled out for the second round. Hopefully, there are going to be some fans in the stands who can appreciate some world-class hockey. Going to be talking with Sandra Pacina next week about a number of different things. It's going to be a Euro 2021. I guess it's technically Euro 2020, uh, but it's going to be a Euro preview. But we're going to talk about a number of these things as she did a real great job covering the Dream Gap Tour here in Calgary. So looking forward to talking some women's sports with her coming up next week. Friday's normally our pro wrestling MMA show. We have some other stuff we're going to put on that show on Friday. We're still going to cover pro wrestling and MMA because there's some big news from the WWE today. Braun Strowman has been released along with Aleister Black and uh, a couple of other names. I'll be interested to see where those names end up. So working on getting someone that we can chat with about those cuts coming up this week. 
That's going to do it for today's episode of Couch Potato Diary. Uh, I know we kind of got into the weeds with things a little bit. Uh, that is the shit that I love, man. So if you sat through that whole thing, thank you very much. If you want to hear more or less of it, let me know on Twitter at PrimetimeKlein. Uh, same thing for Instagram, PrimetimeKlein. Twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. We put our uh, most of our interviews up on YouTube at YouTube.com slash PrimetimeKlein1. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. If you haven't heard enough of me today, our general history podcast came out today with uh, the start of Pride Month. We talked about the Stonewall Riots. I learned a lot, and I think it's a very important marker in history that you should learn up on the podcast for only about half an hour. So it's a nice, quick catch-up on, on important moments in history. Check that out. We had no idea. Also on Instagram. We had no idea podcast. It is going to be a very busy time here at Couch Potato Diary over the next few weeks. So rate, review, subscribe, and we'll talk to you guys later. I'm out.